you want to say. Welcome to Woman Unplugged, a podcast of encouragement for today. Let's talk about the everyday matters of life, womanhood, motherhood, marriage, friendship, and more. We're all new to this thing called life. We've never done it before. Tune in to this podcast and be encouraged, inspired, restored, find new joy and purpose as you grow into the woman you are called to be. Let's go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Woman Unplugged. Once again, I am excited, as usual, because I have a very, very special friend with me. We have Grace Ann Edwards here in the room, and I'm so excited that she's here with me today. She is a very dear, beautiful friend, amazing woman of God. We actually met through the worship team at our church, Mountain West Church in Stone Mountain. You should come by if you're ever in the area. And um, we connected for various reasons, but Grace Ann has an amazing story to tell. She has experienced very unique things in her life and she literally has gotten a second chance at life. Mm -hmm. And so I invited her and she was so kind to agree to come hang out with me. We're here sitting and sipping on our tea (laughs) and we just want to let you have a um, listen into the conversation we're having today because she has some amazing things to share. So please welcome with me Grace Ann. Thank Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. I love podcasts. I'm so excited (laughs) that you're here, yes. Right? Yes. So um, as Rosalie said, um, we met on the worship team. Yep. Um, We've both, you know, been going to Mountain West for a while, love to sing. Um, So we're both artists in that way. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm really passionate about worship and leading worship and just kind of using my gift in that way. Uh, But yeah, as she mentioned, I wanted to share my story. I definitely feel that, you know, I can inspire and encourage women and just everyone in general who's listening uh, in telling them about, you know, what God has done in my life and kind of how God works uh, and and how we can continue to. uh, It's a perfect example of faith is really what I would say. Yes. Uh, So uh, should I just get started and tell yeah, them my story. Yeah, just tell me what's, tell me what's <laughs> been happening with you. You're such a you're such a light. You're always so um, happy and positive. But um, from what you've shared with me, you've been through quite some rough things. So Absolutely. Tell us about uh, that. So yeah, so I would say probably about a little over 12 years ago, um, I was diagnosed with a rare kidney disease. Mm-hmm. It's called FSGS. That's the acronym, but that stands for focal segmental glomerulosclerosis. Oh, that's a word. Say it that, is. Say that fast five times. It's a lot. It's a lot. I would say back then it was pretty rare. So if okay. people had that, you know, a lot of people didn't know about it, but it's a type of nephrotic syndrome, kidney, a type of kidney disease essentially. Um, that impacts um, how your kidneys function. Okay. Essentially, um, the type of FSGS I had, your kidneys um, start to deteriorate year after year. Wow. And after 10 years is really where it's at the point where you're at end stage kidney disease, where your kidneys have completely failed. So by then, I had less than 10% functioning left. So at 12 I, years ago. Um, when I got to the 10-year mark. When you got to the 10-year mark. When I got to the 10-year mark, yes. So I had been living with it for the last 12 years. Okay. Um, And I discovered that I had it actually, interestingly, in college. So I was sick one day. I had strep throat, went to the um, nurses or the clinic on campus, and um, 
my blood pressure was just crazy high, through the roof high. And my dad is hypertensive, so I'm always aware of things like that because of that. So I said, this is unusual for someone my age. I was 19 at the time. There's no reason. I was healthy. I mean, I I danced as well, so I was dancing. I was active. There's no reason I should have this kind of blood pressure. It was just odd. So I lived about an hour from campus at the time. So I drove home to my home doctor, and they ran some tests, and they found that I had protein in my urine. And that's an example of some issues with your kidneys okay. because you're not supposed to protein's not supposed to leave your body in that way and okay. be found at, you know in that regard because it's supposed to be healthy it's supposed to stay in right. your body right. when your kidneys are filtering properly right. you're not supposed to lose that okay so then that's when they decided something's off based on my numbers let's do a kidney biopsy okay at that time they found scarring on my kidney and they said okay this is unusual again for your age why do you have high blood pressure why do you have scarring on your kidney obviously these things are related Um, It's kind of a chicken and egg story because they weren't sure if the kidney issues caused my blood pressure to be high or because I had high blood pressure, it was affecting my kidney and damaging them. So and that's the thing about FSGS. It does that where it's kind of a chicken and egg. You don't know which one comes first. Um, It's also a kidney disease that you kind of just develop. It's not something. So I was born with it. It just developed in my body. There's no real, you know, answer as to how you get it. Uh Um, so that that was an interesting time in my life to be 19 year old 19 at the time and discovering all these things like how do you handle this yeah how do you how do you overwhelm me terms with that if at all exactly no one in my family had it I mean it was just a lot and so I think I went to maybe about two or three different doctors I wanted different opinions as far as what kind of diagnosis I had but by then um, after doing the testing went to a doctor at the University of Miami because I was living in South Florida at the time and he um, conferred with another doctor at a, at a world-renowned hospital that he was friends with. And that's when they determined it was FSGS. So that's kind of how I figured out that's what it was. Mm-hmm. So I'd been living, you know, for the last 12 years, knowing I had this um, kidney disease. And then the next steps were, okay, so how do I maintain my lifestyle? How do I make mm-hmm. sure my kidneys don't get worse? When you got that diagnosis, what was the scariest thing about this this diagnosis? Wow, um, that's a great question. I mean, at the time... I would say it was just knowing I was 19 years old and wondering, am I going to live? Because, you know, you think dramatic. I'm a dramatic person anyway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you think to yourself, wow, um, how do you how does a 19 year old handle knowing that their kidneys don't work? Like, that's crazy. Or that you lost functioning in your kidneys. Right. So they made me go to a class and the class kind of gives you an overview of what kidney disease looks like. There's different stages. There's four stages. Okay. I was at stage two. Stage one is the lowest, and when you get to stage five, that's end stage, it means you're done. Mm -hmm. But I was at stage two at the time, so I think I had maybe 60% functioning left Mm -hmm. by the time they discovered this is what I had. But they walk you through each stage in the meeting. So I'm sitting in there, I'm someone who has kidney disease, and then I'm sitting in there with a meeting that they're telling people, when you get to end stage, you have to get on dialysis. So at the time, I'm freaking out thinking, I have to get on dialysis? Like I thought dialysis was for people that are nearing their death. Like it was just mind blowing to me. And ironically, later in life, I ended up on dialysis, but we can talk more about that later. Yeah, yeah. wow, that's that's scary because when you're in that age, many people don't think that far ahead. Nor, at all. nor should we in an ideal world, right? No. Enjoy your Especially your not when you're a teenager. No, that's terrifying. So when I remember when I shared the story with my friends, I mean, everybody was just devastated, you know, emotional as they should be. And it's just, you know, how do you process? So at the time I saw dietitians, you know, they worked with me about how to 
eat in a way that would be cleaner to kind of help with the process. And interestingly enough, as I mentioned over the years, it just my kidney function progressively got worse and worse. Wow. And it was nothing I really could do about it. So I tried different treatments and everything. I tried different treatments. I started doing um, this treatment later on that was some type of injection they had come up with. I mean, I had my, the kidney doctor I was seeing at the time had, you know, had me try all different kinds of treatments to help. Later, I found out some of the medication I had that was supposed to be helping my kids was actually hurting them. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So all, you know, all of this back and forth struggle, you know, trying to figure out how to maintain my life for the last 12 years has just been a journey. Wow. To that's, say the least. That's Yeah, to <laughs> say the least. That's heavy. And so then you said you had been living like that for the last 12 years. Yes. And you had gotten to a place where the, your kidneys were at a 10% function. Yes. That was about two and a half years ago. Okay. So um, at that point, um, I remember being at my primary doctor, which is, you know, your main PCP, right. um, and, you know, doing my annual checkup. And that's when they said to me, you need to see a nephrologist yesterday mm -hmm. because you have less than 10% function in your kidneys. Your numbers, you need to go. Mm -hmm. And so at the time, the last kidney doctor we were using, because I think I've been through about four different kidney doctors over the years. Yeah. Because again, you want to try to get the best chance at life, right? You want to get different opinions. You want to make sure you're doing the right thing for yourself. Yeah. And there was a family friend who went to med medical school with a doctor that um, she recommended. And so we went, he was like our last resort. Because mom, mom and I even went to Arizona to try to get help. We yeah. found a world-renowned doctor there. We flew to Arizona. He said he, he would have loved to take my case, but I don't live in Arizona. So it just didn't make sense for me to be traveling back and forth and spending mm -hmm. all this money. And he said, you need to find someone where you live. That's, that's heavy. It makes me think of... We all want to live, right? Um, there's this desire for, every, for us, to, for people to survive and for you to have to run all over the place to meet with different doctors looking for a chance at Absolutely. living. Absolutely. I mean, we'll do whatever it takes, right? Right, right, yeah. But that's that's terrifying. That's, yeah. That's, that's a scary place. It was. It really was. And so uh, we, we found the family friend, um, mm -hmm. the family doctor. Okay. Um, that was our last resort. Met him in, I think, April of 2017. Okay. And he said to me, and I'll never forget that in that meeting he said we need to get you on dialysis by the end of this week wow. based on where you are we need to um, maintain your life at this point oh wow so we need to get you on dialysis so he scheduled my appointment with um, Piedmont Hospital okay. because he knows the, the doctors on the board there at the kidney unit I mean he's a very connected doctor I mean he yeah. was God sent wow because I had never met him prior to that. He's right here in Atlanta. Yeah. And we just got connected to him through a family friend. And I mean, the rest is history. He literally saved my life. Wow. Literally. So he said, um, we need to get you on dialysis. We need to. So what you do when you get on dialysis, the first couple of months, they um, insert a catheter in your chest. Okay. Because that's kind of how the port to your um, heart, right? Right. So they have to connect you to a machine in order for your blood to be filtered and clean. Because essentially when you have kidney disease, your kidneys aren't functioning. Your kidneys work as the filter in your body. So healthy kidneys are essential to your life right. because they filter out the bad and keep in the good. Right. So um, when you're on dialysis, that's essentially that machine is cleaning your blood so that you can you don't have toxins in your body and helps you to survive. Okay. Um, so the first three months, so they do surgery to create the, put the catheter in. Okay. So I was on, on a catheter um, on dialysis for those first three months. I mean, if you think about me, I'm able to talk through it now. But at the time, I mean, it was extremely overwhelming to think I go to see a doctor today. And by the end of that week, I am on dialysis. Wow. That's that's heavy. It is. It's a lot. But I mean, we had to move quickly. 
because right. he said you really don't have time. Right. And so that was the beginning. The catheter essentially is not, um, it's not the most efficient way to have your blood be um, cleaned out in your body. Okay. So um, what they recommend is um, what's called a fistula. Uh-huh. So uh, they do the catheter as a temporary thing for you to do dialysis until they create a fistula in your arm. Okay. So a fistula is essentially a vein and a blood vessel that's connected in your body to create a flow, a bigger flow okay. in your body so that blood can flow through faster okay. and you can clean your body okay. at a faster rate okay. when you go through dialysis. So it is actually a permanent um, thing in your arm. Um, I don't really know how else to explain it, but that's essentially what it is. It's called a fistula. When you Google fistula, you'll see what it looks like. Uh Um, And so what happens on dialysis is two needles go in your arm, Mm -hmm. um, and one is filtering blood out. Blood is going out into the machine, being cleaned, and then coming back in in the other. So your entire blood is leaving your body. (laughs) That's crazy. During that time. Yes, it's a lot. (laughs) It is a lot. So um, so I did dialysis... um, Three times a week for four hours each time. For four hours each session? Yes. So it's about three and a half, four hours each session, three times wow. a week. Yes. That sounds exhausting yes. just listening to for it. For two years. For two years. Every single week? Every single week. Every week. And I went and did it at a clinic. I did what's called hemodialysis, where you go into a, a facility mm-hmm. and you have pro- medical professionals that hook you up to the machine and you go through the process. And I was still working full time. I mean, I'm still working full time right now. So I was maintaining a full-time job, going to dialysis, and still trying to maintain my life through all of that. And you've been a light in the process. Like, mm-hmm. I've not seen you ever have a bad attitude Yeah. when you're on stage, when you're trying to be mm-hmm. a light, when you're trying to serve. Sister, I am incredibly proud of you. Yeah. You're a fighter, girl. <laughs> it's tough. Wow. It's been tough. Um, it's So I would, say, I, would, I would say, if I'm honest, in 2017, I was depressed that was the first time in my life i can say i was truly depressed in 2017 um because of everything i had going on i mean i was maintaining and i say Uh maintaining in quotations Mm -hmm. um for up to 10 years at that point Mm -hmm. um dealing with knowing i had kidney disease somebody told me to say you were diagnosed not that you have because you want to claim it as your own right you were diagnosed with kidney disease right Um, and so for that long, I've been maintaining my life with that. And then when the bomb gets dropped in my lap that you have to go on dialysis because this is a life or death situation, it's like, how do you process all of that? And still, you know, knowing that I had to go to a facility and just again, from a transparency standpoint, I remember the first day I was hooked up to the machine at dialysis, I cried the entire time. And I remember one of the um text there you know she was interesting she shared with me a little of her story but she's a breast cancer survivor mm-hmm. and she is little maybe about three or four years older than me so knowing that she was that young and she you know she's in her 30s and she dealt with that um and she was just saying to me you know um you're stronger than you know you are mm-hmm. you know this is a tough time in your life but you will get through this and i will never forget her saying that to me because I just remember being in that facility thinking, how am I on dialysis? At the time, I was, what, 31? Yeah. And everybody, I mean, everybody in that room was at least 55 or older. Wow. And I felt like, how am I here? Like, this makes absolutely no sense. I should be living my life. Why is this my story? You know, I, I'm relatively healthy. Nothing else was wrong with me. I don't have... I'm not a diabetic. I don't have high blood pressure because I eat poorly. 
because I was very active. I was working out. I mean, I, like I said, I, I take dance classes. I've danced. It's an active part of my life. So I'm doing all the quote unquote right things. Why is this happening to me? You know, so it took a while for me to truly process, you know, just just the situation. Wow. So it was definitely a tough time. And, and think about coming off of a high of my 30th birthday the year before where I had an amazing time traveling the world and then coming back to the, to that, it was yeah. just insane. Yeah, talk about a, a crash, right? Yes. Like a drastic change of, yes. of life. Yes. What did your life look like during that season where you had to go through all the dialysis? Obviously, as you said, that was a big part of your schedule because of how often and how long you had to do it. Were you able to to work out, to continue dancing? Did you have to, I suppose you had to continue watching your diet. Like, What was your day-to-day life personally like during that season? Yes, yeah, so uh, so when you're on dialysis, you actually have a strict diet. Okay. Um, they call it the renal diet. So you have to stay away from certain foods, foods mm-hmm. which is a lot of things, to be honest. Foods that are high in phosphorus and high in potassium, which is mm-hmm. a lot of processed foods, which truly we all should be staying away from those things anyway. Right. So you're really just eating a clean diet. Okay. Um, you know, with the exception of foods that are just high in potassium. So, you know, like a lot of fruit and vegetables that we like are high in potassium. Yeah. So I had to stay. It was a very interesting way, but I had to adjust my lifestyle to fit that. And I did everything by the book, I will say. Um, it's funny. When I got through the other end of it, um, I'll fast forward a little bit. My doctor, I remember him telling me, you are the healthiest dialysis patient I know. Really? <laughs> yes. He's like, you do this thing very well. Wow. Because my numbers were exceptional. You would never, like I said, I, and you, you've said it, but... Most people, if I never shared what I was going through, they would not know. Yeah. Because kidney disease is an invisible disease. Yeah. It's one of those things where people don't see it on you. Right. Unless you share with them, this is what's going on with right. you, with, with, with me. Right. So how did you get to a place where you were able to do all these things, follow this strict diet, go to, to your dialysis every week, and still keep a positive attitude? I will say, I mean, that was... That's such an interesting question. It definitely didn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it it's it's an interesting thing. So I will definitely say my faith has strengthened through this process. Um, I as I mentioned to you, I definitely was depressed the first you know couple of months going through all of it. But I think once I got to a place where I finally got a routine and a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, through, as you said, through leading worship and being able to know that I have an impact in bringing people closer to Christ, um, encouragement from people that want, didn't know anything at all about what was going on in my life, but they were still able to come to me on a Sunday and say, wow, I really enjoy the way you led worship today. I love to see you up there every week. You're so positive. And it was so encouraging. It was really just kind of the Holy Spirit just feeding me to let me know, um, I have you. I have you covered despite everything you're going through. And I've always been the type of person to look at the glass half full, Mm -hmm. um, you know, even with everything that I have going on. And so, you know, over time, I really got to a place where I could see the silver lining, Mm -hmm. I guess, in, in what I was going through. And just, again, encouragement from friends and family and from strangers that whether they knew what I was going through or didn't know, but they were able to kind of help me see that I was a light. It really helped motivate me to stay positive through everything I was going through. Um, I will say, I want to say it was maybe six months or sometime within the time I was going through everything, six to eight months later, I finally had the courage to share it at my church. Um, I don't know if you were at that, you were there the day I shared it. It was um, 
one Sunday, it was a Sunday that I sang, and you know, Pastor Michael brought me up on um, on the platform. Yeah, I believe I was. Yes, there. you okay? <laughs> and um, you know, just kind of shared with the church, hey, you know, I've been on the worship team, and just kind of shared a little bit of my story with everyone. Um, but essentially, um, as you know, when you're on dialysis, the only way to get off dialysis um, is is to get a transplant. Right. So that's really where I was at that point. I mean, dialysis maintains your life, mm-hmm. but it's definitely not the best solution to living a, a healthy life when you um, have kidney disease. And honestly, is it even a sustainable solution for the rest of your it's life? It's mean- not sustainable for the rest of your life. There are people that have been on dialysis for years. I do know of a woman that was on dialysis for 30 plus years. Wow. Because um, I did research about that. But, um, you know, when you think about Again, I'm a woman in my 30s, um, still young, still wanting to live life as full as I can. That is not the ideal situation for someone like me that is so young. The doctors will tell you that. Exactly. Um, So they highly recommend that you get a transplant. Okay. So that's essentially where I was. But I remember when I knew that that was my realization. It's like, how do I process this? You know, and I remember... One of the first things my mother did is share my story on her Facebook page, and she shared it all over the world. And I mean, I I checked it recently about two, three weeks ago. It came up on my feed again. Do you know that my story on my mother's page was shared over 5,000 times? Wow. And it went all over the world because I saw people in other countries that were posting on it. Wow. I think that's incredible. I had no idea. It's a little mind-blowing. You know, that that makes me really think. I know that there is a lot of misery and tragedy out in the world and social media and the news, obviously, feeds off of the negative stuff a lot of times because Mm -hmm. that's where the money is, right? People want to hear the dramatic and they hear the scary and the latest scandal and the crazy rumors but it's encouraging to see also how much goodness there is yes and how people come together when it comes down to things like this i see in the body of christ in church and even with people that are not believers that there is kindness that goes around where things like social media are used for such a positive thing yes it's inspiring yes everything that we have access to as it relates to social media and human interaction can be used for good yeah and so it's a really amazing thing when we can do that um and have a positive impact i love it i I, love that they did that i love i really love that i'm I'm sure that was very encouraging it it was it was mind-blowing to say the least. <laughs> so, um, but I remember when she shared it initially and I was just not ready to do that. I've always been a very private person. That's just how I've always operated. I don't share a lot about myself. I don't, you know, put myself out there very often. Um, and so I know that going through this journey it was a huge challenge for me to be transparent, to be vulnerable and ask for help. Yeah. And so that sharing it at church was the first step you know, to being public about it. And what was even more encouraging for me was how many people stepped up to try to donate on my behalf once they heard about it. I mean, it was really encouraging. Um, You know, how many people attempted. I mean, there were people that go to my church that I never met before that reached out and said, I just wanted you to know that I've actually reached out to the coordinator at Piedmont that you mentioned. And I've been working behind the scenes to try to do this on your behalf. I just wanted to share that with you. I mean, I'm a big crybaby, so that just got me all all in wow. my feels <laughs> when I heard those things. A lot of people that did that, I mean, unfortunately, they weren't a match for me. Yeah. So, you know, when you do get a transplant, one of the first things they look at is your blood type. And then they look at your tissue type. And then they look at all different kinds of factors. So, um, but when the, you know, when the potential candidate kind of steps forward and then the hospital talks to them, they go through a series of tests and they walk them through what it takes. 
But my brother, my younger brother actually stepped up to be a donor on my behalf. I remember when that happened. So maybe about three months into being on dialysis and knowing I needed a transplant, um, you know, my brother, and he didn't tell me at first. He kind of did it as as a surprise for me. I found out later on. Um, and the only reason he told me is because at the end of it all, he couldn't do it. He was initially, uh, so when he did the test, we have the same blood type. So, um, they did that. They did the tissue type test. And he was actually at the point where he was going to go through it and the all day testing to where they determined, okay, we can go ahead and perform the surgery. Okay. And then, um, they sent him a letter saying that they did what's called a gene test, which interestingly enough at the time. Those gene tests were relatively new. They had only done the first set maybe like six months prior. It was a new test they started doing. Mm -hmm. And he has a gene that makes his kidney susceptible to issues as well. And they didn't want to put him at risk or me. Okay. So that's when they decided not to do it, which is so interesting because I'm glad they started doing that test. Very good, yes. So but it was how medicine keeps changing and advancing. Absolutely. And then we find out things like that. But um it was an it was an eye opening moment for him more so than me, but it was also, you know, good to know that they didn't want to put us either one of us at risk. Okay. Um, so it was kind of a moment where it was kind of anticlimactic, you know, you get excited and then it's like, well, this is, so I said, well, this is just not the the way God wants to do this and that's okay. You know, we'll keep on just keeping on. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, you know, continue to go through dialysis and, you know, keeping praying and having faith that, you know, God is going to come through. I had a lot of prayer warriors in my life as well that kept praying for me, um, throughout this entire process that continue to, you know, encourage me and say, you know, God is going to come through for you mm-hmm. in, in, in all of this, you know, just keep your faith and keep positive. And so that's exactly what I did. It wasn't until January of this year, 2019. Yes. Okay. Um, our church goes through an annual fast, as you know, <laughs> and it's usually at the beginning of the year. And one of the things I fasted um, specifically was just um, social media. So I took that time really to just be, it was just me and Jesus. We were just, you know, spending a lot of time together, just back to back every day. And the free time I had, it was just all all us, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of what came out in um, those talks and conversations and devotionals was just, I needed to be obedient. And one of the biggest things, as I shared with you earlier, that I run away from is vulnerability and yeah. being open. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit was just telling me, I need you to get over that and be obedient and share your story publicly. And I've been fight. I had been fighting it for two and a half years. Wow. And so many people in my life would say, you know, have you asked out for help? Have, what have you done to be out there? And I just was keeping it to myself. Only my close friends and family knew. Okay. And you know, sharing at church was the first step. But even then, you know, what that did was open up people to pray for me and right. kind of share. But it still wasn't what needed. What I needed. Right. Let me ask you this real quick. Why do you feel is it so hard to be vulnerable? You had uh, this crazy diagnosis that is very personal and it's very intense. Why is it? I think many people could relate to that fear of being vulnerable, of putting out there what's happening to us, especially when it's so heavy or such a life and death situation. Why was that for you? I mean, I would say, I think human nature in general, I mean, people don't like to feel that they are burdening others with their issues, so to speak. Yeah. I think it's just a matter of, you know, you want to maintain this appearance, I guess, if I'm being honest, that everything is good. When we all know we all struggle with things. Right. Or that we're self-sustaining, I guess, that we can do it on our own. Absolutely. I think I've always been extremely self-sufficient. Even if I'm struggling in something, I'm going to try to figure it out 
on my own before I have to ask for help. Right. right. Maybe it's a pride thing. Yeah. Maybe under it all, it's it's pride. You know, you don't want to feel like you need anyone. Right. Um, so it's you, humbling when you really realize how much we depend on each other. Yeah. But that it's okay to depend on yeah, someone. Yeah, that that's how we were created, actually. If, yes. we're, if we're supposed to be the body of Christ, right? Absolutely. One body probably can't say to the other, I don't need you. Exactly. Yeah, we I act think like it's that sometimes. was a huge learning for me mm-hmm. in this moment. Um, so what I did um, after Easter in April, in April, I shared, finally shared my story on social media. So yeah. I posted a video on Facebook, on Instagram. I mean, I just posted it on my social media, just kind of sharing a synopsis of everything. Yeah. And I remember um, one of my friends from church, um, she reached out to me. She messaged me and she said, oh, wow, I had no idea you were dealing with this. Um, I think I might be able to help you and um, send me the information. She's like, I've, I've been through something like this before, similarly. Really? And I think I may be able to help you. She herself? She herself. Meaning she has gone through, she had gone through something similar to try to help somebody else with a uh, similar situation in okay. the past. Okay. So I'm going to share a little bit about that. Yes, um, please do. And so she reached out and, and I sent her the information. So just to share a little bit of her story. So she um, had a close family friend of hers who was kind of like a second mom to her mm-hmm. who had kidney disease. Okay. And she, she actually wanted to donate her kidney to her. So um, she went through the process um, and this was about two years ago. Okay. She went through the process and, um, you know, um, she was a match, did the testing. They were about to do the surgery. And then they told her that um, there were some com- there would have been some complications and they weren't able to perform the surgery because her body could not handle that invasive of a surgery. So they weren't able to do the transplant. Okay. And she so herself or the her, her, her family, family friend okay. was not able to receive the kidney. Okay. So she couldn't do the surgery. Oh, wow. And so she had spent that time kind of going through you know, um, trying to donate, but it just didn't work. And subsequently in February of this year, that family friend passed away. But, um, but so she, um, so she, when she reached out to me, when she shares her story, she'll tell you, she feels that God was almost preparing her for meeting me and, or not even meeting me, but knowing that I was going through this because she had done it two years ago. Wow. Had gone through the process. So by the time she did it, on my behalf, when she went through the testing, she already knew what it would entail. And she was a match, of course, because she's a universal donor. So she can donate to anyone. Which is amazing to yes. think that there's like, yeah, the blood, some blood types are unique, or, or if you will, a certain type, and some are universal. Absolutely. Jesus is a universal blood donor. Listen. That's what I was just thinking. <laughs> He's a universal yes. blood donor. Yes. So this was in May of mm-hmm. this year. And I'll tell you, from then, everything kind of moved pretty quickly. Um, May, she um, went through and did the test. She told me by June that, you know, she's a match as she thought. So then they told her to schedule the all-day testing, which happened in July. She did that. And then once they do the all-day testing, once they tell you how those results come back, then they determine whether you're able to be a a donor. Um, And then by August of that year, I remember, I'll never forget, I was at dialysis. I was on a Wednesday, and I was waking up from a nap. And then I checked my phone and she had messaged me because she kind of kept me in the loop on different touch bases throughout the process. Okay. And then by August, she said to me, well, I've completed all the testing and we are a go. When in September do you want to do the surgery? What? (laughs) Wow. What went through your head when you saw that I mean, I almost fell out the chair. (laughs) If I could have fallen out the chair. I was hooked up to the machine. But if I could have fallen out the chair, I would have. (laughs) I mean, it was just... Just a testament to how amazing our God is. 
Yes. Do you know what I mean? Um, from the moment I decided to share my story, how quickly it all came together. Which is crazy. Which is really crazy. I was just talking to a dear friend of mine yesterday about how as children of God, as sons and daughters of God, we are now co-heirs with Christ. Mm-hmm. And how a lot of times we do not tap into what God has for us mm-hmm. because of a lack of faith. Absolutely. We're talking about that. How, you know, Jesus healed all these different people. And I don't recall any records in the scriptures where he refused to heal someone. He couldn't do any miracles in his hometown. Like he said, a prophet is not uh, accepted in his own hometown. So when he couldn't do certain miracles, it was because of the unbelief of people. But whenever someone came and asked him in belief, whatever person they were, male or female, Jew or, or Gentile, whatever, he did the miracle. Absolutely. And we were talking about how we're missing out a lot of times on a life of abundance mm-hmm. in every sense of the word. Absolutely. Spiritually, emotionally, materially, because we don't realize that actually it's ours for the taking as children of God. Mm-hmm. And so it amazes me to see how he spoke to you, how the Holy Spirit reminded you, ask me, put yourself out there, make it vulnerable, make yourself vulnerable. Don't be afraid to ask. And when you did, you received. And I know that's not the story for everybody that they get things as fast, but I do think that as believers and as as followers of Jesus, we don't realize sometimes what it means to be a child. Yes. When our children come to us, they know that they can freely ask. Mm -hmm. If they need water, my daughters know they can come to me and I will give them water or I will give them food or I will give them what they need. Maybe not always what they want, but what they need. And I think, as you say, even to tie in with that as believers, when we come with a humble heart and we're sincere um, in our faith and, and knowing that as believers, and that's literally exactly what faith is. Yeah. Just knowing that God is going to come through yes. despite, regardless. Yes, that confidence. Yes. And that, I, I love that. And I want to get to that place more where I have that childlike faith where I can I just know I can ask these things. And like you said, a lot of it is the, the state of the heart. Of course, mm-hmm. I know God's not going to give us whatever we want if our heart's not in the right place. If my, my nine-month-old asks for a laptop, she's not going to get that because she's not mature enough to handle that. Um but the things that they need, the things that they're asking for from the right place, of course I want to lavish on them. And I yes. think God has so much more than we realize um, if we just tapped into that more. Mm-hmm. So I love that. I love that that was your experience of making yourself vulnerable and then things coming through, turning around for you so Absolutely. fast. Absolutely. Okay, so you got that message and almost fell out of your chair, but not, thank <laughs> God. <laughs> and um, what happened from then? Yeah, so um, so this is the interesting part um, that I really enjoy. But when we talked about, um, you know, knowing that we, so we scheduled the surgery for September mm-hmm. and then, um, the, I remember the day of she and I, you know, met that morning and our, it was just so amazing. We had so much family around both of us. Also our pastor came, pastor Michael came Oh wow. and, um, the day of the surgery and just prayed over us. So we had a big group of everyone just kind of praying over us right before the surgery. So that was amazing. I love that. Um, yes. again, community and fellowship, right? Because you opened up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I, I remember, now I don't know what happened. I do know when I went into the surgery, um, on the surgery bed. And then I remember going under. I found out later on from the surgeon um, that the surgery lasted about two hours. And this was the most amazing part um, of hearing that the minute that they put the kidney in in my body, it started working right away. Almost as if it was meant for me. Wow. Um, And that's an interesting fact because whenever, if you hear about transplants, and I've read a lot about them, usually when they do, even whether it's um, a deceased donor or a living donor, in my case, it was a living donor transplant, which tends to be a higher rate of, much higher rate of success than a deceased donor transplant. Okay. But sometimes when you do transplants, the kidney takes a couple days 
to start working in that new home. Okay. Mine started working right away. That's that crazy. Immediately. Immediately. Wow. That is mind-blowing. That is mind-blowing. That is really, really mind-blowing because that's like such a confirmation that God had been orchestrating this the whole time. Absolutely. And the, again, it's, it's so fascinating to hear this unfold because when you think about the timing of it all, had I shared my story two years ago, my donor would not have been ready to donate to me either. Because wow. remember, two years ago, she had that family friend. In her mind, this kidney was for that person. So she, I remember her telling me, she was like, at that point in my life, I remember that, you know, this is like a second mom to me. I was willing to donate my kidney to her because this was hers. And so she said to her, she told me when it didn't work out, she was a little confused. She was like, well, what's, what's, because why am I doing this? So she felt like there was a reason she was supposed to give and she didn't know why. So two years later, when she hears my story, she goes, wow, well, maybe this is what it's for. So even going through everything with me, she said, you know, if this is God's will, it will be done. And I said the same thing because I had the kind of faith at the time where I knew that God was going to come through for me. I just didn't know how. So even with the process of going through this and knowing that she was a match and we were doing this surgery, it's still not a guarantee until it's done. And so once it was done and knowing that, you know, we both came out on the other end of it healthy and well... It's just amazing. What does it, I don't know enough when it comes to medical things, what happens or what does it do now for both of you? So each of you now living with one kidney. Yes. What are the, what are the next steps from that? How does she, is, how is she going to have to live with one kidney going forward? And what about you? So again, this is a great question because this is a shameless plug to kidney health. So if this is what, so kidneys are an amazing organ. It's, Kidneys are the one organ where you have, the second one is like a spare. That's wow. why if you hear the slogan, share your spare, uh -huh. um, that's what your second kidney really is. Okay. It's literally like a spare tire in your body. Wow. So if you have a flat, you can use your spare and right. it'll work. So your body, the way how our bodies are set up, with one kidney, so so the kidneys work like this. I know a lot of times people think about, when I think about percentages, your kidneys functioning at this percent, 100% or 50% or what have you. So both kidneys are not splitting their time. It's not 50% each. Don't okay. work like that. Interesting. So Not like the lungs. Right. So when one is gone and you have one left, say it's working at 85%, that's a healthy functioning kidney. Okay. So after her test, she has to still go through follow-ups as well. Hers are different from mine, but they do check on her because she's a donor. Okay. So she'll be checked on for life just like me. But when she went for her two or two or three-week checkup, they told her, wow, she's extremely healthy for someone that donated. Okay. Um, even healthier than some people with two kidneys. Right. Right. So that's really what, and that's why it's so important for people to be aware of what it means to donate life because your kidneys are an amazing organ. You literally can have a full healthy life with one kidney. Right. Um, and so that's essentially what we both have right now. That's amazing. Is able to have a full life. You know, it's really comforting. I see so much hope in this, in this story because even how God orchestrated it, you said something significant just a minute ago about how if you would have put your story out there or if you would have started asking two years ago, the kidney that was meant for you would have not been ready because she thought she had this kidney for this other person. And even in all the tragedy of this family friend of hers, you know, eventually going home and not making it to then see how God was still orchestrating, I have to take comfort in the fact that God sees the full picture. And that is not to belittle anybody's pain that loses someone, but that is to say that I have to hope that God, the God of comfort and the God of hope, 
is still orchestrating. Where if it was time for that one person to come home, if your time wasn't, mm-hmm. he orchestrated your story. Mm-hmm. And that is mind-blowing. Absolutely. To think that, yes, there was tragedy, but God used that. God uses the pain. God uses the tragedy. God uses the loss to bring life somewhere else. Yes. Because our time, everybody's time is coming eventually. But right now, you're sitting in front of me alive. Mm-hmm. And you're sharing your story so that you can speak into my life and so you can speak into the lives of whoever's listening. Yes. Because their time hasn't come yet. And there's so much power to realize that the sovereign God Almighty is still sovereign, even though we have a free will and we live in a broken world of death and of sickness and of, of, of loss. God can use that and he can, he can redeem a story and go, okay, this person went home. But because of the timeline of that, and because that organ donor did not work for her, I have this reserved for someone else. Yes. And now your life, breathing and living in front of me, thriving, can reach out and minister and donate life to other people in a different way. You know, yes. It might not be an organ you give, but it might be your story. It might be truth you speak into another soul. And that's the thing. We all need a transplant. Like, mm-hmm. we all need a transplant. It yes. might not be a physical organ, but it might be spiritually. I, we all need a new heart. I know that for sure. Yes. Spiritually speaking, we need we need restoration. People that are struggling with depression need comfort. They need a new mind with all these thoughts they're fighting. People that have struggled with addiction, they need a new new body, so to speak, you know, spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking. And I feel like God has given you life, and He's given you the second the second chance and something that was a loss, something that didn't work out the way that people had planned. God orchestrated differently because His time for you was now to be sitting here yes. and to speak life. And donate that story, if you mm. will, yes. so other people could live. Absolutely, it's yeah. powerful to see how we're all connected. Absolutely, it's mind blowing. I mean, it's it's it ministers to me, and you're sitting in front of me here now and looking beautiful as always. It's crazy. Yeah. So how how has this been? I know you said it's it, you learned a lot about keeping a positive mindset, and it's it's helped you exercise your faith. But you are here now, and what does that feel like? If I may ask you that. To sit here to know like you've gotten a second chance at life and you're walking around with a, a new organ yeah what does that do for you I would say the one word to describe it is overwhelming and I say that because I'm still processing what it means to have a whole new chance at life I process it I still attempt to process it every single day because it just means like when I get up today um, and each day what am I gonna do to be grateful to be thankful to have gratitude and that's essentially why I am the type of person that really, truly looks at the world with the glass half full because, you know, there's always something to be grateful and thankful for despite whatever circumstance we're going through. Yeah. So really and truly, I, I, that's what I do every day. I just really think about how can I continue to live a full life, Mm -hmm. do the things I enjoy, but still live a life for Christ through all of it because he is the reason I'm here. Yes. Um, and there's a reason I have to live this life to, to, to show my gratitude. And there is a greater purpose. Obviously, what I'm going through has a greater purpose. Yes. And so I just feel like being an encouragement, being inspiration, just maintaining a positive outlook. That's one of the main ways I think I'm supposed to live my life. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's what I do. What a gift. You are such a gift. Thank it's you. It's amazing. I'm very <laughs> thankful that you shared this, this story with us. And um, that you made yourself vulnerable and opened up. Thank you for that. I know that that's yes. hard and it takes a lot of courage. 
but God has and still is doing some amazing things in your life. And it makes sense that it's not all processed yet. It makes sense that it yeah. takes time to, to, to digest and process what does this mean for you and for everybody else around you. But it is cool to see how, not just cool, it is amazing to see how God orchestrated all this and how all these years leading up to the surgery and the transplant yes. were all part of the bigger picture. Like I just said, you know, it was all part of the plan. And the timeline and the way that it happened, you know, man it's, plans, but the Lord directs. Listen, God's timing is always perfect. Yes, which is which is crazy. What do you? What would you say to to someone that struggles with trusting in that that God's timing is perfect, and that it's important to have faith? It's so scary for me. Sometimes it's scary to really trust. It is still scary for me because I'll be I'm, again in the transparent moment. I don't know that in every area of my life I have this level of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, but for whatever reason, God felt, um, I felt compelled to listen and um, just obey God in this area of my life where he said, I need you to trust me in this. And it literally came to me. I don't know if it was just randomly one day, but I was at a space in my life where I truly, truly believed and knew not just believed, but knew that this day would come where I was either going to be restored, whether he was going to restore my kidneys or I was going to get a new one. I knew one way or the other, this is happening. And just encourage someone who's at the space where they don't know. You know how they always say, when we make plans, God laughs, Mm -hmm. especially for people that like to control things. I think that was also a moment for me when we literally give it all to him it's, it, I think it takes you just truly being vulnerable in that area of your life, in your faith, of just giving everything to him. He does something in you where you really just like let it go. That's really what happened. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to continue to live my life. And again, just try to maintain positivity through it all. I'm not positive every day. I absolutely have moments where I um, where there is woe is me, but it's not a consistent thing. It's like I sit in the moment, realize that I feel this way. And then I move past it. But I allow myself to feel every emotion that I feel. And I think that's also important because we can't deny the negative feelings and, exactly. you know, the, the, the pain. That com- the pain. Yeah, exactly. We cannot deny that. And I think that's where we, that's where the healthy part of us comes in. We have to, you know, acknowledge that days are going to come where we're not always positive. But acknowledge those emotions, sit in them, feel them, and then move through them. I love that because I think also as a, a Christian, as a believer, I think, and this might be the case for many people, we think faith equals constant bliss, right? Or, or, or faith equals always looking on the bright side. But I like that you're being honest about this because it's true as humans, fact is that even though I want to believe in a faith in God, there are days when it's hard and it's hard to trust. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking about this earlier about the importance of being in stillness, right? And we're in silence and stillness. We realize we're not in control and that's a very scary place to be right because yes. it's easier when we're in control either controlling things through our words or our actions and the scripture comes to mind where it says be still and know that i am god and to have that type of faith where i can be still where i i sit in silence and solitude and stillness and i know i can't control what's happening but i know that god is god that god is going to do something having that faith that i trust that my father that he is a good father and that I can ask and that he's going to come through. So, Grace Ann, I'm so thankful that you shared your story today and your testimony. God has done some seriously amazing things in your life. What would be your encouragement with everything you've gone through and experienced and learned? What would be your encouragement for anyone listening today? 
my message is really just continue to to be a light and an inspiration to anybody that you come across in your life. Mm-hmm. Try to do your best to be positive. See the best in people. We all come with challenges and different things in our life where we're trying to figure out, you know, how can we navigate this thing called life in the best way possible. Right. But anytime you encourage, uh, encounter someone in your life, just do your best to see the good in them and to give of yourself in a positive way in any way you can. Because as a human... Um, as a human race, you know, when we're all positive, when we all give, mm-hmm. um, it literally comes back to us in a great way. So yeah. I would just encourage everybody to to do that. I love that. I'm so thankful that you shared yes. your story today. Thank you for being vulnerable and transparent with us. And uh, for anyone listening, friends, I want to encourage you to really take this testimony, this story, and and just listen and think about this second chance at life that God has given Grace Sand because I believe that he has that for every one of us. And it looks different for everyone, but there is a universal donor, and his name is Jesus. Yes. And he can, he can give us new hearts, and he can give us new minds. So if you don't know him personally, you need to start talking to him because he is the jam. <laughs> he loves you so much. Jesus loves you so much. And we are thankful for you for listening to this podcast today. Grace Ann, I'm thankful to you for sharing your story. Yes. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. (laughs) We enjoyed our tea and our fellowship, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. So if you did, feel free to share it with a friend. Give it a like. Leave a review. And we hope you have a blessed day. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.